Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ellen Trackman and I'm here with Jennifer White. Yay, Hi, Jen. we're here. I'm here. And I feel like today is such a, a great episode, but also a difficult one. And it's one thing that we, you know, we have not shied away from hard topics, difficult stories. Um, I can think of right. so many episodes where it's really a lot of heartbreak that we're dealing with. Anything yeah. that comes to mind for you? I, I think it's interesting. And I'm sure everybody realizes we probably talk about these things beforehand, or at least somewhat beforehand, that we both went in totally different directions. Although similar directions when we were like thinking about what like things that traumatized us, uh, like the episodes and the people we talked to. And yeah. I mean, I think one for me that really stood out was there was a surrogate who found out that the baby was still at the end of the pregnancy and oh. had to deliver with her intended mother there and just the heartbreak of that and just the, you know, the, I, I understand any loss is tragic no matter what, but and hearing just the details hearing her, of it. Yeah. That's exactly really, right. To be told that and be like, okay, come back tomorrow, you know, and her knowing that. Right the situation she was in just so rough. And the one that came to mind for me was we had um, a previous surrogate on and she had carried twins and she had a terrible delivery and almost died, which was terrible and heartbreaking enough. But then to learn that her recipient intended parent had given one of the twins up for adoption. I thought that was just like really shocking. So insane. Hard. Um, Well, this is a new, this episode's a new different kind of hard that we haven't, really focused on but this one um trigger warning to anyone really to sensitive to the topic or not ready to, to listen to these stories but it's about the termination of a very wanted pregnancy welcome dr julie bindeman to the show thank you for coming on the podcast i'm so happy to be here so i mean i feel like we should give the warning at the beginning that this can be a very difficult episode not even though we haven't started talking but we are going to be dealing with very difficult topics specifically the termination of a wanted pregnancy um before we kind of go into the story do you want to tell a little bit about your background and where you are and who you are absolutely so my name as you said dr julie bindeman i am a licensed reproductive psychologist. I practice outside of Washington, D.C. in suburban Maryland, but no one's heard of Maryland, so Washington, D.C. is a much easier <laughs> landmark. Um, I am a they native Washington. They told us Washington- that in third grade. We had to learn it was on the map or something. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people are like, you're from where? Yeah, okay. Uh, um, try, try growing up in New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, am a, a sixth generation Washingtonian, which makes me weird. And none of us wow. are in the government, which makes me weirder. Wow. And that's okay. Um, I, I only left the area to go away to college and then came back because I really like it here. I went to graduate school at GW. Um, I met my partner in high school. And while my parents really wished I would have dated him then, I... <laughs> Uh, was not in the phase of dating really nice people no. that will treat you well. Um, you had to learn that lesson the hard way. Right, right. So fortunately, he waited around for me and we reconnected when I came back for grad school. So we have been married for almost 19 years, which Congratulations. is like a really long time, um, but also really short. Thank you. And uh, yeah, he... Um, I guess I'll sort of launch in where I remember before we got engaged, we had gone away with his family and we were taking a walk on the beach and we were sort of having one of those conversations about like what our future is going to look like and those kids that we're going to have and all that. And, and I remember him asking me, you know, what, what would we do if we had you know, a poor prenatal diagnosis. And he didn't use it in those words. Um, And and the example the two of us could kind of come up with was like, what if we found out the baby had Down syndrome? Mm -hmm. Um, And and that was relevant to us because his sister has developmental disabilities. 
and so has a lot of friends with Down syndrome. And so that was sort of what was accessible to us in terms of, of an example. And so we both had a conversation about that and found out we were on the same page. I won't spoil it. Um, and, and, you know, just never thought about it again. And then I remember on our wedding day, in the myriad of brief thoughts you have that flicker through your mind on your wedding day, um, one of those thoughts was, oh, well, if I get pregnant now, we'll just keep it. Um, Right. That conversation didn't matter anymore. Right. Right. It was just this brief thought. And then I also remember, um, yeah, well, I'll, I, I remember a CNN story, but but I'll I'll get there too. So um, when we had after we got married and we started talking about having kids, I was still in graduate school, and my very very intelligent wise husband said to me, "You need to finish graduate school. You need to get licensed, and then we can start talking about kids." But You've paid too much money for this education to not get licensed and do anything with it. So let's hold off until that happens. So smart, smart man. That's good. Such a smart guy, right? So, okay, great. That's what we did. And I remember saying, all right, well, I'm licensed now, like, and I'm working and let's start talking about it. And so we're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll remove birth control. And so before I get into the rest of the story, I just want to sort of highlight that I do consider I have an infertility story, but it's not a typical infertility story. Um, and so it's, it's, and it's a secondary infertility story, but also not a typical secondary infertility story. And being able to claim my story as an infertility story also was part of my journey because that didn't didn't quite feel feel right until I got into this field and really started to understand well infertility means a whole lot of things yeah so um we had the really surprising experience where and I'm very type a so like I had the ovulation predictor kit I had already read books about fertility like I was on it before you, we you knew even say you were going to get pregnant before it ever happened is what ba- you're basically yeah. like and I knew that like yep the basal body temperature wasn't going to work for me so I needed something else so I had I had that clear blue easy computerized kit because I knew that was going to work for me so we were doing that the first month And I remember right as I was supposed to get my period, I was talking to a friend of mine who had called to tell me that she was pregnant. And I was so excited for her. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to get my period tomorrow. I think it might be a little late. I'm like, but since we're having this conversation, I'll call you tomorrow and tell you what happened. And she's like, because she had waited till 12 weeks. Like, she was not going to tell me until then. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, sure. And she's like, okay. So I test the next morning and I got a big fat pregnancy, positive test. And I showed it to my husband and we were so excited. And of course called everybody because this was our first pregnancy. We, this was our experience. Right. Right. We wanted to share the joy. And so I called my friend and I'm like, your bean's going to have a friend. And we were just, that, that became really fun that I had a friend I was going to be pregnant with. Um, and starting at, I remember telling my parents and my dad's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, I'm feeling great. He's like, yeah, well, just you wait. And it was like the next day the morning sickness came in and I'm like, you cursed me. Um, no, it was the timing. It was all right. But so we had a really uneventful pregnancy. I remember getting my... Um, Nucleophil translucency, and for whatever reason, I was at an MFM to get it that time. And I remember the doctor being like, Oh, I don't get to see a whole lot of scans like this where everything looks great. And I was like, Okay. Um, and again, just not thinking about it because I was right. 29 years old. So what could go wrong? Um, and so we fast forward and I get to the end of the pregnancy and was very fortunate to have a 
pretty uneventful, as I'm told, delivery of a healthy six pound, 13 ounce baby boy. Um, And he was really great. And when he was about 18 months old, my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, we have a really great kid. And obviously that came because we have superior genetics. And so <laughs> we, we must bless the world with more great kids because, of course, they come out as carbon copies. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, so much ignorance, right? Um, <laughs> and, and at that time, too, I had started developing a, a professional focus on the postpartum period and that adjustment to parenthood. And, and just what a momentous transition that was and how so much change happens during pregnancy and postpartum that is unreplicated anywhere else in the lifespan. So you think about adolescence as being this period of really big change, but you got like 10 years to do that versus 10 months. And there you go. You've built a human and now you get to raise it. Right. Um, So a very different thought process. So uh, that's sort of where I was professionally. And so we're like, okay. And and I remember saying to my husband, you know what? It was so easy the first time. There is no way that it will be easy the second time. So sure, we'll start now. But in my head, six months from now, I'm pregnant. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, that would be great because last time we didn't have the fun of trying. So I can't wait to have the fun of trying. <laughs> so romantic. So romantic, right? He was just like, woohoo. Um, so we that was our plan. And so imagine my surprise when two weeks later after we first started trying, I took that pregnancy test and it was positive. <laughs> As I said, this is a weird infertility story, but I promise it's there. So I was like, oh, and I, and I remember feeling really unprepared. Like, yes, this was intentional, but also this wasn't supposed to happen so quickly. And so there was this part of me that was like, I don't want to be pregnant. It's too soon. I don't, I don't think I want this right now. And I had gone to the doctor because I had some spotting and they asked me to come back in two weeks. And when I went back in two weeks, the baby was still measuring at six weeks, which when I went the first time at six weeks, it made sense the baby was measuring mm-hmm. at six weeks. But two weeks later, the baby should not be measuring at six weeks. Right. And I remember asking the tech, well, do you still see the heartbeat? Because we saw a heartbeat last time. And she's like, let me get the doctor for you. Oh. <sighs> we know what that means. That's always yep. trouble. So the doctor comes in and says, oh, I'm so sorry. It seems like you've miscarried. And already my body had held on to it for two weeks, and I wasn't able to go in and schedule a DNC for another 10 days. Yes. So wow. like, my body was really cool being in this state of, of not really pregnant, but yeah. semi-pregnant. I don't know. That's a pregnant-ish kind of thing. Um, <laughs> And so I had a DNC, and at that point, I was just so devastated by the miscarriage. All of a sudden, I was like, no, I really wanted this baby, and all of that ambivalence that I, I felt. I didn't mean was, it. I was totally I didn't mean it. Exactly. I, exactly. Right? Now, I did know that I didn't cause it, um, and I was so surprised at how sad I felt because I had always considered a six, a seven, an eight-week-old pregnancy to be a fetus. And that's like nothing. And, you know, it's a bunch of cells kind of thing. And yet going through it, that was not what my experience was. So it was, um, you know, about that time, too, when my husband and I were watching CNN. And this was in 2009, so it was before CNN was or before any news was sort of what it is today. And there was a story that we were watching about this um, doctor in Kansas who had gone to church that weekend and was shot outside his church. And as they get into the details of the story, uh, we learned that he was shot because he was an abortion provider and that he provided abortions in the second and third trimester. 
And I remember saying to my husband, you know, I've always thought of myself as pro-choice because it's not my decision for somebody else, but I don't really get why somebody would want to end a pregnancy in the second or third trimester. And we just kind of like left it at that. You know, not that I felt like that shouldn't be the case, but also just not understanding it. Right. And so our plan after the miscarriage was, we'll try again. And so that's what we did. And my doctor, I had one physician who was much more old school, who was like, oh, you need to wait three months before you try again. And then I had this newer physician in the practice who was like, actually, the research shows that like you're much more fertile one to three months after a, a miscarriage. So go ahead as soon as you get your cycle again, go ahead and try. And I'm like, oh, I like that information better. So I'm going to select that. Confirmation bias. Yep. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> um, but also much more current information than, you know, sure. the thing that had been around for 30 years. Um, so that's what we did. I, you know, brought out my, my ovulation predictor kit again and fired it up and started tracking and um, saw that I ovulated. And two weeks after that, I had started bleeding and I just assumed I had a period. So I turned it to go to us another month. And I'm like, oh, I've never had that experience before. And I said to my husband, I'm like, it's so great. I'm having a period. So we actually get to do what you wanted to do. We get to try again. He's like, yes. <laughs> um, and so we get into like two more weeks of the cycle when I, I'm supposed to ovulate and I'm pretty regular. So um, I, I was sitting there being like, oh, okay, cool. Two weeks in I'm, and I started to bleed. And I'm sorry if this is TMI for people. So here, TMI warning. This is, all, this is all TMI. Every, everybody okay. who comes on, you're Go good. It. Love it. Um, so I started to bleed and I was at my office. I called my OB and they're like, oh, take a pregnancy test. And I'm like, oh, you silly people. I already had a period. Like it, it wasn't a long one or a really heavy one, but I figured that's just what happens after miscarriage. I'm re-regulating. So no way I'm pregnant. Famous last words, right? right. So I go, go to pick up a pregnancy test and I also some clean underwear from the grocery store and I come back to my office and I take the pregnancy test and, you know, in the time it took me to bring the pregnancy test to eye level, it already registered I was pregnant. Wow. And wow. so I'm sitting here going, hold on a second. I'm pregnant, but I'm bleeding. What's going on here? Yeah. And so I get really freaked out. And the doctor's like, can you come in this afternoon? And I'm like, oh, no, I have clients. I, I don't know why I even said that. <laughs> um, and, and they're like, okay, how about first thing tomorrow morning? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Oh, yeah, schedule's available. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I somehow get through the rest of the afternoon. And the bleeding starts to intensify that night. And as I'm at home, you know, I'm like lying down and I go to the bathroom and I, I start like um, seeing clots in the toilet. And so I start flipping out because in my mind, I'm miscarrying. It's the only explanation that makes sense. And so my husband's seeing me freak out and I'm crying and I call the doctor who gave me, this is the, the older, older guard doctor who gave me really useful advice. Like, what do you expect me to do about it right now? Wow. You're coming in tomorrow. Oh, thanks. Um, cool. I'll sleep tonight. So <laughs> I, I'm just so anxious, so worried. And I go in the next morning and I get my blood drawn, but we know that a single blood test doesn't tell you anything. Um, so I asked the doctor, can I get an ultrasound? Because at least that will tell me, that will give me information, real-time information. Yeah. So bless her. She was able to get me in upstairs at a radiologist's office and they squeezed me in. And I remember saying to the tech, do you see anything? Do you see anything? What's going on? She's like, you need to go back to your doctor to discuss this with her. I'm like, oh, right. fine. So I go back to the doctor's office and I get squeezed in at lunchtime. And all in the meantime, I'm just sitting in the waiting room so anxious. Just I just need to know. So 
So I go back and I'm talking with the doctor and she's like, okay, here's the deal. We are seeing like a five week sack and it looks exactly the way it should look. And we're also seeing what's called a subchorionic hematoma. So my medical vocabulary is expanding. And I'm like, what's that? And she's like, well, it's just a bleed and we want you to be on pelvic rest and it can resolve on its own. And so that's all we can do for it. And you'll just, you'll come back next week. We'll check you out then. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. okay. So she had explained that I was able to work, but be on pelvic rest. So I'm like, that's cool. So at least I had something to distract me. And I went back the week after and she was like, okay, this subchorionic hematoma has gotten bigger. Um, mm. yeah. And the pregnancy, now we see a heartbeat. Oh. And I'm yeah, like, well, then, okay. oh, okay. And and at one point, someone thought I might have had twins, and that's why I was having an SCH, but who knows? And I was like, okay, cool, because I don't want twins. Like, one is fine. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, well, what do I do? And she's like, well, we're going to put you on bed rest. And wow. And, and you were at, what, seven weeks at that point? I'm at, like, six and a half weeks. Right. So, wow. And did I mention type A? So not really a bed rest kind of gal. And you have a toddler at home. And too. and I have, yeah, he's, like, 19 months at the yeah. time. And are they, like, like, bed rest for now? Or they're, like, bed rest for the rest of the pregnancy? They're, like, bed rest for now. We'll check you next mm, week. Okay. We'll see what's what. So right. I come back the next week, and they're, like, okay, great news. The SCH has resolved. It's reabsorbed in your body. And, you know, the pregnancy looks great. So I'm like, okay. And at awesome. this point in time, like the nausea had come in with such a brute strength that was so different from my first pregnancy that I'm trying all the different kinds of meds because something had to make it palatable. Yeah. And so being insurance as it was at that time, um, they wouldn't let me take the medication I knew to work until I tried a bunch of other medications that didn't work. So awesome. <laughs> awesome. And finally, I got to the point where I could take Phenergan again and, you know, was able to take that and that that made me just queasy during the day versus actively vomiting. So that was a win. We'll take that. Improvement. <laughs> um, right. So. I'm, I'm still nervous as I finish the first trimester. I go for my nuchal fold because this is before the nips. And, you know, I get my nuchal fold and they're like, everything looks great. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then I go in for my quad screen and everything looks great there. The blood work looked great. And so I start going, oh, this thing's going to happen. Fabulous. And I start getting counsel from my colleagues about, well, what do I do in terms of sharing with clients about pregnancy? And what do I do about temporarily closing my practice for maternity leave? How, just how do you work that out in private practice? Because these are things they don't teach you in graduate school. Right. So we're really excited. And we head to uh, November of 2009. And um, it is time for our anatomy scan. And so we were going to our anatomy scan the Friday before Thanksgiving and my husband had taken the day off of work and I had taken the morning off. And we get to the doctor's office and they're like, oh, we had tried to call you to cancel because your insurance won't pay for us to do the ultrasound. What? So you have to go somewhere Wait, else. Well, this what? is before ACA. Like this is okay. really fun, interesting stuff here. Um, so I'm like, okay. And they were able to get me into a radiologist's office. So I go there and we're excited and, we're, oh, and you know, the whole point of this ultrasound was we were going to find out what the sex of the baby was like, that was it. That's right. why that's, we were that's what up. you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we showed up. So we get there and the tech was so chatty and, you know, we're talking with her, lots of banter going on. And finally she's like, so do you want to know the sex? And we're like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point of being here? Um, and she's like, okay, well, you're having a boy. 
And I started crying because I was like, damn it. I thought I was so sick in that mental girl. And like, that's what, of course, everyone's telling you because, oh, well, if you feel sicker this time, of course you're having a girl. Um, yeah, that that's right. So <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, fine. And, and then she tells, I'm like, oh, does the radiologist want to come in and talk to us? Because I know better now than to ask the tech if she can tell us anything. She's like, oh, no, just go back to your doctor. You know, you'll chat with her. And we're like, okay. And we just thought that was normal, that that is what one does when you're sent off site. So we get in the car. We start talking about, okay, what's our son going to be like as a big brother to a little brother? And what are the names we're going to do? And I joke around with my husband. I'm like, well, we're going to have to try for three now because I want a girl. (laughs) And he's like, okay. So we, we start talking about names and then we get to the OB's office and we are like whisked into one of the OB studies. We're like, okay, sure, whatever. And we don't think anything of it. Like It was the only time ever that I've gone to a doctor and I didn't have to wait. They were like, oh, it's you. Come on in here. Wow. Oh, okay, cool. So we're still talking about names and the OB walks in and the first thing out of her mouth was, I'm so sorry. And I look at her and I'm like, you know what? I'm over it. Yeah, it's another boy, but we'll have to try for a third. We'll have a girl then. And she looked at me like I had six heads. Oh, geez. And then it dawned on her that we knew nothing. And she's like, they didn't tell you. I'm like, tell us what? And again, like our head is where, what are we going to name it? And we, we have dreamed out the next 18 years of this child's life already in the span of a car ride. So she says, I'm so sorry. The ultrasound showed that there was something wrong with the baby's brain. And I go, well, what about brain plasticity and neuroplasticity? And is this, is this something that can self-correct? Like I go right into psychologist mode. Right. And she's like, I don't know. This is not the part of the elephant I know well, but <laughs> we've, we've arranged for you to go to an MFM and they'll take a look this afternoon and they can answer your questions. Oh, wow. So you already had an appointment. They had already made you an appointment they for that same day. Yep. And so I look at my husband, who has started to cry. And at that point, it dawns on me there's something wrong because my husband is not a crier. At our wedding, I was crying. He had dry eyes. Like, he was fine. Very, okay, no big deal. But he was was crying because he understood this is not good. So... I called a friend of mine who was helping me with my practice at the time. And I said, hey, I need you to cancel my afternoon. There's something going on with the baby. We're getting more testing. And then we just, I just start crying and I can't. So we're trying to call our parents to be like, we don't know what's going on, but there's something potentially wrong. We don't have much answer. We're, we're going to find that out. Um, and so my husband's like, let's, let's go eat something. And I'm like, you are the funniest thing in the world to think that at this point, my stomach will let me swallow food. Like, right. nope, not happening. And so I stared at food while he ate. And he's like, you have to eat something. And I'm like, I will try to drink something with calories, but eating is not going to happen. So we go to the MFM and they whisk us in. And we meet with the genetic counselor and we meet with the doctor and we start hearing words like ventricular megaly. And we start hearing words like hydrocephalus. And these are not, this is not part of the medical vocabulary that I had already known. So just for listeners, um, ventricular megaly, our brains have ventricles that drain the excess cerebral spinal fluid into our spine. And so it, it, normalizes the pressure in our brain. It's a really important function. Apparently, the ventricles in this baby were very enlarged. Mm -hmm. Because they were enlarged, it was causing a backup of cerebral spinal fluid to pool in the brain, which is a condition called hydrocephalus, or literally water on the brain. Um, We knew about hydrocephalus because my sister-in-law was born with hydrocephalus. And and so we we had a sense of what that was. And so we're like, well, what does this mean? And what does this look like? And, you know, 
again, I asked about brain plasticity and they're like, well, we want you to go to, to children's. And again, I'm outside of Washington, D.C., so we have fabulous medical care here. Um, and and we'll, get, we'll get you in next Wednesday. So that would be the day before Thanksgiving. And I was like, okay, yeah, get us in whenever. Um, and how long and, was that await from, from then? So this was Friday. So this oh, okay. was five interminable days. Oh. <laughs> um, to which... I called my dad who has some connections at children's and I'm like, I need you to call your friend. I can't wait till Wednesday. And he's like, I'm on it. And he really appreciated having something to do. Mm. And then we called my mother-in-law because she's lived with a child with hydrocephalus. And we were like, here's what the plan is. We want you to come with us. And we want you to write down a list of questions that we don't know to ask because you've lived through this. So you know to ask it. So she's like, okay, I can do that. And so my dad was able to move up all the appointments to the day before to the Tuesday. And we were left, we had done a a history with the genetic counselor and we were talking to the doctor and basically we just needed more information. And I I don't even remember if at that time they even mentioned termination or not. I don't believe they did so. And so we were talking about, maybe they did, because I remember that weekend we were talking about like what our boundaries were, what could we do as parents. And again, it sort of hearkened back to that initial conversation we had had pre-engagement on the beach. And we, we started to talk about quality and quantity of life that we wanted to make sure that whatever child we were raising would be able to experience all the joys that the world can bring um, and to be able to to understand what that meant and to be able to have meaningful interaction with his family. So that was what, that was sort of the work we did over the weekend to kind of figure out like what what, what, what does this mean? And, and it was enough to make me be able to wait until Tuesday where we could then fill in those blanks of like, okay, well, where are we in terms of quality of life, quantity of life? So we went Tuesday morning, super duper early to have um, an MRI and to have a level three ultrasound and to meet with a genetic counselor at Children's and to meet with a pediatric neurosurgeon and to develop, to develop a plan. And uh, my mother-in-law and my father came with us and we went through all the testing and the, the brain ventricles, initially their measurements was 1.8 centimeters. And what is the top end of normal is one centimeter. So already we had a sense of like, okay, that's pretty much and the top end of normal. And, and what is typical for ventricles is they are half a centimeter to a centimeter. Um, so, okay, that's outside of So way, is, yeah, so pretty yeah. darn big, yeah. Yeah. So when we got to children's and they measured everything again, the ventricles were now measuring 2.2 centimeters. Oh, wow. And that was just in four days. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's not good. Um, And I asked about like, well, can the brain rewire itself and what's going on here? And they're like, that's unlikely to happen. And I remember the neurosurgeon, we're all sitting around in a circle and she says to us, you know, best case scenario is that your son will have the developmental quality of life of a two-month-old. And he can... He can grow until his 40s, and we can tell you about different chairs that he can have because he'll never be mobile. And I remember looking at my husband, and I I kind of have a dark sense of humor. So I said to my husband, I didn't like our son at two months old. Like. (laughs) And then I, I, I had been told, at least with him, that, like, don't worry, it will pass. Um, I can't imagine a lifetime where two months is the best that we can get. And so we were then told about what our options were. And because six months prior, Dr. George Killer was killed, Dr. George Tiller was killed, our options changed. 
So yeah. I live in a state where abortion is legal, um, depending upon fetal anomaly, the mother's health, or the mother's mental health. And abortion is legal up until into the third trimester of pregnancy. Because Dr. Tiller was killed, all of the typical providers that would have done a surgical abortion for me closed their doors because they were understandably afraid. Yeah. So I had a choice. I could either, the closest state to me where I could receive a surgical abortion was New Jersey because I had already passed gestational limits in DC, um, or I could labor and deliver and stay at home yeah, and, and at least be in, in with my doctor and, and that kind of thing. So um, we decided we wanted to be with family. And so we chose the latter to labor and deliver at home. And the difficulty of that was I had to then get through Thanksgiving. So now we're at Tuesday, the week of Thanksgiving. I had to right. get through Thanksgiving because the soonest they could get me in was Friday. So, okay, that's the plan. And all through Thanksgiving, I'm feeling this baby move yeah. with the knowledge that he yeah. was going to die soon. And we, we spoke with our rabbi. We, we are religiously and culturally Jewish. And so we called our rabbi and we told her what was going on. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, am I, I, I'm like, I know Jews don't believe in hell, but am I going to hell because I'm going to be killing this baby? And she's like, no, actually in Judaism, the way we look at it is life doesn't begin until first breath. So it's in Judaism, it's not even considered to be a baby. And we value the mother's life over that of a pregnancy. And so, in fact, in Judaism, you are doing something very aligned with Judaism, which was reassuring to know, like, okay, cool, my soul is not going to burn into internal damnation, which I think, like, it's all that Catholic, I, I used to work in a lot of Catholic places, so I think some of that's seeped in. Um, and so we have that. And we had a plan to labor and deliver. And I feel like that in and of itself, that experience is its own podcast. So I won't go into the other layers of trauma that occurred during that labor and delivery. Um, we decided not to spend time with our son. We decided not to name him. Um, and I see both sides of it. I think for us, that was the right decision. And I know for lots of other people, spending time with their babies, naming them is really important. So I understand both, both ways of looking at it. Right. And we got home with empty arms after going through labor and uh, all the postpartum hormones and <laughs> my milk came in, which was oh, super duper right. fun. Um, and I couldn't do anything with it. I wanted to, to pump and donate it to a milk bank. And I was told, no, 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 don't do that. And so I was like, but I just want something good to come out of it. I was going to say, what was their logic for that? Is it just because they thought it was emotionally a problem or was the milk was a problem? Or what, what was their logic in not doing that? So again, 2009. Um, so I think, yeah. think timing is important. Yeah. Um, donating to milk banks was less of a thing. And I think the other concern was like, there's so much work to go through that donation. And would they actually take it from me because it was a termination, was it a completed pregnancy? And um, the, the amount of milk I would need to get to donate would be pretty minimal. And it would take a lot of work on my part. And I think it's that some of what was in it is sort of that thought of, well, just move on. And, and go on with your life, which which in the 50s is when people had stillbirths. That's what the physician would say is, right. just go home and, and act like nothing happened. Right. Really? Pivotal huge event occurred to me. So, right. so I asked my doctor, like, when, when can we try again? And she's, or I asked lots of people, when can we try again? We got lots of different answers. Um, and basically what we decided was, okay, we'll wait until I get a regular cycle back and then at least my body is ready and we'll sort of go from there and see if emotionally that, that feels okay. So that's what we did. 
Um, and we were told by everybody, this was a one in a million. This was a fluke. This will not happen again. But, you know, your next pregnancy will monitor you every couple of weeks. But don't worry, this won't happen again. <laughs> so um, four months passed. I finally get my period. We try. Surprise, I get pregnant that first time, which, again, I know sounds really weird when I'm talking about infertility. Um, and so I'm terrified because... I'm either going to miscarry in my head or I'm going to have to have this thing happen again. And my husband's sitting there being like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. The doctor said one in a million, like we already had a miscarriage, like this is going to be our baby. And I'm like, uh-huh, I don't think so. And it, it was like, as soon as my body got pregnant, I had horrible morning sickness to the point where like my go-to Fenergan did nothing and I needed to boosted up with Zofran too. So it like, it was just, and, and that again, got me to a point of like, oh, I'm just nauseous. I'm not actively vomiting. I, I lost weight in this pregnancy. And so I get through the first trimester. I'm going to the MFM every two weeks. Everything looks fine. I'm an anxious mess. I'm still somehow working and I have no idea how that's happening. Um, and then I, I get to wife, 15 week appointment and my mom's with me. Cause at this point I don't do ultrasounds alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> like I don't do doctors alone at all anymore. <laughs> nope. Not at all because psh, I've had bad, bad news. Yeah. So um, my mom's with me and the tech is sitting there and she's like, I'm not seeing the cavum or no, no, that's not what she said. She's like, Oh, I'm not seeing the thalamus. And I look at her and I'm like, I'm 15 weeks gestation and you're looking for a really small part of the brain. Are you sure you're able to differentiate it at 15 weeks gestation? She's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. But I start freaking out. And so I say to her, all right, I need you to stop and I need you to have the doctor come in. Right. I was about to say, you're like, it's the opposite of all those other times when you want the text to give you information. And then you're like, right. uh, now I no longer want the text to give me information ever. Right, right. So I'm like, you need to stop. You need to send the doctor in. And she's like, but we're not done. And I'm like, no, no, no. See, here's what you need to understand. You're done. You're done. Like, you're just, you need to leave. And I need the doctor to come in. So the right. doctor came in. And she's like, it's so weird. It's on these settings. These are not our typical settings. But based upon those settings, I see what she's talking about. But let me put it on our typical settings and let me take a look. And so she did a very long time scan and came back going, I'm not seeing what she's seeing. So, you know, I'll see you in two weeks. And I was like, yeah. And that text never coming back. She's like, we will make a note on your chart because you're right. You, you should not have to see her again. I'm like, yeah, thanks. So I come back in two weeks and, and, you know, and at that 15 week, I'm already sitting there being like, oh my God, I'm going to have to terminate. My mom's like, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. So I come back two weeks later and I'm like, okay, cool. And, and I had already been told too, I was having a girl. So I'm like, okay, okay, maybe this is going to happen. And so 17 weeks, the tech does my scan. And after she leaves, the genetic counselor comes in. Ugh. And I look at her and I'm you're, like, you're not the person who's supposed to come in. Hmm. Yup. I'm like, don't get me wrong. But um, when you show up, there's not good news. So <laughs> why are you here? And she's like, well, I know you didn't want to get an MRI this pregnancy, but... I think it might be really important. Um, and then the doc comes in and the doctor's like, yeah, you know, the brain ventricles are like 1.3 centimeters. Oh. And that's like the top end of normal. It could be nothing. We're cautiously optimistic. Yeah. And, and so the genetic counselor calls children to see what is the earliest I could come in. And they're like, 18 weeks is the earliest we can do this. So... We go in, we get an appointment for the next week. We bring our same team with us. We're meeting with the same doctors. Oh, wow. And we're getting the same results. Oh. We were told again, ventricular megaly, hydrocephalus. And this time we were told, oh, also it's partial agenesis of the corpus callosum, which means that that band that connects the left and right hemispheres of the brain was only partially formed. 
Oh, and wow. like, oh, cool, that's great. It's something different. <laughs> and she's like, no, actually, you had that last time too, but you had enough information to make a decision. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you, you got me because you're right. I did. She's like, so, and, and I'm like, well, if it's partial agenesis, like then that leads the way for neuroplasticity. And she's like, well, what's interesting about that is partial agenesis is like um, not having signs on a highway that's, that's under construction. And then it's like driving off the highway into nothingness and you have no idea that that's, that's what you're doing. Whereas when it's full agenesis, when there's absolutely no band in between, the brain is more likely to figure out those connections because it doesn't know what the connections were supposed to be. So it can be a little more creative there. So she's like, yeah, so it's not really what you want. I'm like, great. Um, and I have friends. I asked a good friend of mine. I'm like, I need you to do a literature review on ventricular megaly at this 1.3 centimeter kind of range. I, I need to know what outcomes are. And so she calls me back and she's like, okay, here's what the literature says. It says that, you know, 85% of people are fine. And I'm like, oh, that's good news. That's great. She's like, but mm. if there's any other kind of brain anomaly, 100% of people terminate because it means that there's something else going on with the wiring. So, okay. And I am, I know what we're going to do, but it feels doubly awful. And I was looking at it as, oh my God, is this the only daughter I'm ever going to have? Right. And so for me, there was something else in there with that. Um, because I think we, we do tend to have attachments and ideas around sex. So because I'm now before 20 weeks gestation, I was able to have a surgical abortion and I was able to do so locally and chose to do just that. And it was such a different experience from my labor and delivery. It's such a better experience from my labor and delivery because the, the staff was just incredible at the hospital that I went to. And I, I, I mean, even to the extent where apparently my doctor and I had a conversation after I came out of surgery and I had no memory of it. And he called me the next morning, which was a Saturday. And and starts repeating some of those things for me. And, and I start asking him questions. And apparently they were the same questions I asked the day before. <laughs> and he's like, oh, we talked about this. I'm like, I have no memory of that. He's like, okay, we'll talk about it again then. Um, it was just really kind that he called me on his weekend. And he connected me to a friend of his who had both terminated a pregnancy and had multiple losses. Because I'm now in this really strange place of I've had three consecutive losses. I've had two terminations for the same medical issue. And I don't know anybody who's ever walked in my shoes. Yeah. And so yeah. from that point, I found an online support group and started just to kind of dip my toe in, but wasn't really ready for it. And I had had a conversation with my doctor and I'm like, look, I, I really want a third kid. I really hopefully will have a girl. And she's like, well, I can give you medicine to bring your period back, but you want, I need you to wait at least a month. And I'm like, okay. And at the same point in time, we're trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Because one in a million doesn't happen twice in a row. Yeah. So we do all sorts of testing. We do, um, we had done genetic testing with the baby. We, uh, we did that the previous pregnancy too. Um, we did MRI scans of my husband, his sister, and his mom to see if it might be a dominant trait somehow. Uh, we did everything. And the hope was we would find something because if we did, we could then go to IVF with PGD and we could isolate the gene and select embryos that didn't have that gene. Well, and it's also the same as like anybody who's dealing with infertility. Like the worst diagnosis you can ever have is unexplained infertility yeah, because you exactly. can't solve it. And that's exactly. what it sounds like exactly what you're doing. You're trying to find a solution. Ex oh, exactly. So I'm sort of like, cool, we'll, we'll just go to IVF. Great. We'll do that. And we get the results back of, well, we can't, we can't isolate a gene. And they didn't think they could, but you know, maybe. 
So, okay, we, we, we didn't do that. Fine. Then I'm like, okay, well, let's still go through where we'll, we'll, we'll create embryos. And you know what? We'll get a gestational carrier and we'll put an embryo in her and we'll put one in me. And then at 18 weeks, we'll both get MRIs to see what's going on. <laughs> And, you know, one of us is bound to have a healthy baby. Right? And I'm going to point out to all our listeners that, that that's not a thing. you are also a mental health professional, too. And that, see, these things affect even mental health professionals that your brain doesn't always, like, logic everything through. Totally. And, and this was before I had training in the world of infertility. So I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, I actually suggested that plan to my genetic counselor. I'm like, I figured it out. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and, and she was like, let's slow your roll. <laughs> like, nope, can't do that. And it wasn't really explained the why I couldn't do that. It was just like, that's not a thing. You can't yeah. do that. And it wasn't until later that I was like, wait a second here. So if I get pregnant and it's a healthy pregnancy, you know, then do I just not care about the GC later on? And what right. is it like if she's the one who doesn't have the healthy pregnancy or vice versa? And what is that relationship right. going to be like? So I just wanted to explicate some of the reasons of why that was a terrible, horrible idea. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So basically after all of the testing we did and after uh, we were even, we were even the focus of a grand rounds too, which was very exciting. Um, and so after all the experts weighed in, the plan was, well, you'll just get pregnant again and we'll do an MRI at 18 weeks. That's the plan? Oh. That's the wow. plan. <laughs> yeah. The finest yeah. minds and that is the plan. <laughs> That's the plan. And every two weeks you'll go to the MFM. So it was like, okay. And I, I remember calling my OB at about two months post-termination and saying, I'm ready for the medicine. And so she prescribed me Provera and I took the Provera and my period came. And so I'm like, cool, great. And two weeks later I ovulated and two weeks later I had a positive pregnancy test, <laughs> which meant that the anxiety was back full yeah. force. Right. I mean, Horrible. I, to the extent of, and I'll share this because I think we don't talk about it in such granular detail, but like to the extent that I was reading whatever tea leaves I could to try to figure out what was going to happen. So I remember with my miscarriage, my hair had fallen out in the shower before I before the miscarriage was confirmed. So every time I took a shower, I counted how much hair did I lose? Wow. Which was really obsessional. But also I was so anxious that wow. I'm trying to find anything I can to bring me just a smidge of comfort. Right. You got to focus on something. Right. I'm also not feeling nauseous at all this pregnancy. So Ooh. in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm going to miscarry again because I didn't feel nauseous then and everything else has been horrible. So this one's not going to work. And my poor husband every single day is like positive affirmations and this is going to work and I have a really good feeling about it and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> You're like, I hate you right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you, you do this and then you tell me it's easy and go ahead. And he's like, I would if I could. I'm like, uh-huh. No, you wouldn't. Um, and so it's like getting through every day feels like a year. And, you know, every week feels torturous. And the weeks I'm not at the MFM are horrible. And then the trip right the day before, hours before I go to the MFM, the anxiety is at full peak. And then I go to the MFM. The first thing they tell me is a heartbeat because I told them, I need you to tell me there's a heartbeat. Right. The first thing they tell me is there's a heartbeat. And then I start to feel the anxiety melt away. Until about three later, three hours later, when it comes all back, because I'm like, oh, well, what if the baby died between then and now? I was going to say, you're like now in the longest wait period between appointments, basically. Exactly. Exactly. So we're going appointment to appointment, and then I get to 18 weeks, and I go back down to children's, and I go back into the MRI. And by the way, it's a child size MRI, so really <laughs> fun to be an adult, a pregnant adult. A pregnant adult, yeah. <laughs> in a child size MRI. Um, so that's fun. 
So I go back and then we're, we're sent back to do the higher level ultrasound. And again, we have our whole team with us and the radiologist peeks behind the curtain and she's like, Hey, I'm sure you guys are really anxious. And I'm like, well, that wasn't the understatement of the year. Now was it? (laughs) And she's like, so I just wanted to pop my head in and I just wanted to let you know, everything looks fabulous. Mm. And I started crying because I was like, I don't believe you. (laughs) Right. And so I said, okay, well, I want to sit down with you and I need to see the scan. She's like, absolutely. We'll do that. And I said, okay. So we sat down with her and we're looking at the scans And they said, I need to see both of the other babies and this one, because I need to see for myself, like what the difference is. And so you see the first two fetal MRIs, and it is like a brain that is mostly black with not a whole lot of contrast. And black in MRIs means fluid. Mm -hmm. So then they put up this pregnancy's MRI, and it is like, grays and whites and black, like all the colors that you would need in this grayscale MRI. And she's like, see, the brain's really differentiated. You've got a lot going on there. Like, oh, and it, I mean, I wasn't trained as a radiologist and I could tell the difference. It was a very obvious difference. So seeing that was just so helpful. Um, And then the next question was, they keep telling me it's a girl. Is that what you're seeing too? (laughs) <laughs> you're like I need I need confirmation on that one now <laughs> yep and she's like yes yes it's a girl I'm like it's still a girl okay so you would think that after that I would be okay that no. it would be fine <laughs> right really, I'm gonna have a baby <laughs> no it's still <laughs> yeah anxiety's still there yeah <laughs> so at this point I've now convinced myself that because I've had first trimester losses second trimester losses, this was going to be my third trimester loss. Oh, geez. And I could not internalize the fact that like, actually, maybe you bring this baby home. So I'm going still every two weeks and I'm getting, getting the MRIs or the, the ultrasounds done. And I get to like 34 weeks and I make myself do something for myself. So I, I make myself throw what I call an elephant shower. and Typically, Jews don't throw baby showers for other babies. Um, You know, it's just you have the stuff from the first and that's fine. But for me, it felt really important to mark the milestone of getting to this point in pregnancy. And I threw it as a thank you to this amazing community that I had assembled in the past couple of years who had been supporting me through through all these tests and all these losses and all this waiting. That's sweet. And so that's what I did. I threw what I called an elephant shower. Um, And the reason I called it that is elephants gestate for 22 months. Yeah, 22 (laughs) months. That's two years. Oh, wow. And were you right at? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And by the time all was said and done, I was pretty close to that, that I would have been pregnant for nearly two years. So that was great. And it was at that point after the shower, I started to relax. I'm like, maybe this thing is going to happen. And we go to our 36-week scan. And at this point, the MFM is like my best friend. And she's like, so how do you all feel about having a baby this week? And I looked at her. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, no, thanks. I, I actually am really excited to go into labor spontaneously. I'm really excited to like have some time to actually close down my practice and not have to do it abruptly. She's like, well, I can give you four more days to do that. I'm like, I'm sorry, what's going on? She's like, well, your daughter is measuring small and I'm concerned that she's growth restricted. And because of all you've gone through, I think she's going to do better on the outside than the inside. And my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, how do we say no? Right? Like we didn't feel like we could say no. Right. Because then were we bringing something on ourselves? And so we said, okay, okay then. So the end of the week I get induced and Five hours later, I am holding a very loud, rambunctious, five-pound 
baby girl. Um, and the biggest compliment the staff gave me while I was in the hospital was, oh my gosh, she nurses like an eight pounder. <laughs> okay. Whatever that means. Um, so she is a healthy 10 and a half year old now. Mm. And when she was about 14 months, I looked at my husband and I'm like, remember we had talked about three. And and he had like PTSD when I said this to him. He's like, you're kidding me. Like, well, we talked about it. We kind of thought about it. And he's like, here's the thing. I finally got you back where you were not an anxious mess. Yeah. And I like that version of you, you know, and and I don't want to go back there because I can't, I can't do that again. And I'm like, yeah, no, I get it. I said, here, here's how I look at it. We have a one in four chance of having a miscarriage. We have a one in four chance of having this thing happen again with the brain, because that was basically, they thought it was a recessive gene combination. They couldn't identify it, but that's what it was. So one in four chance of it happening again. And I'm like, and so, or, or we have a healthy baby. And I said, you know, my thought is like, if I miscarry, I'd want to try again. But if we have to terminate, we're done. And he's like, okay, he's like, you could be happy with the two we had. I'm like, yeah, I could be. But I just, I feel like we need to try three. And so that's what I'd like to do. So we, we checked in with the doctors to see like, hey, the IUGR, was that something we need to be aware of? And we checked in too about, hey, do we need to do any other kind of testing? Like, is there, have we figured out the gene yet? Um, no, we have not. And, and at that conversation, the genetic counselor said to me, well, I need to share my bias with you. And I'm sitting here being like, no, no, nobody in the counseling field ever starts a sentence that way. Right. But, Maybe it's different for genetic counselors. Okay. And she's like, I think it is ecologically irresponsible to populate beyond just the two of you. Oh. I'm like, I'm sorry. That that oh. I have never heard a professional say. Yeah, right. Me neither. So we're and, and then when we saw the doc, she's like, I'm so excited you're back. That's so great. You know, we haven't learned anything new since the last time you were here, but like, let's do the call me when you get pregnant. And we're leaving. And I say to my husband, I'm like, I can't go back there <laughs> because if we have to terminate, this genetic counselor is going to be like, see, I told you so. And I'm like, I just, I can't go back there. And at this point, I was now starting to do more of this work. I had gotten training in it. I was seeing clients. Um, and, and so I'm, start, I'm networking and I'm, I'm meeting other people that, that work around pregnancy loss, that work with infertility. And so one of the docs I met, we had become friendly and, and same with the genetic counselor she worked with. And I called her up and I'm like, hey, so is this a thing? Can you say that? She's like, no, <laughs> that is not a thing. And no, you cannot say that. And I'm like, okay, well, it was said. And so we need a new place to go. And is that cool if I come here? Should I get pregnant again? She's like, yeah, that should be fine. So long story short, we tried, we succeeded, um, we got pregnant, we, we went to this new MFM. We got tested every, every couple of weeks. Although I had said to her, I'm like, I think I'm good just coming in like once a month. And she's like, no, about every other week. And I'm like, can we compromise on three weeks? Because really this is going to be a pain to get to you every, every other week. And like, I'm over it. And, and I felt really good. Like, I was just like, you know what, whatever happens, happens. Like it was a, such a different mind space than where Interesting. I before. Yeah. Um, Really with the intention of if it works, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. Uh, you know, like, I just wanted to try it one more time. Yeah. And so um, we, we do our 18-week uh, MRI because apparently for us, that's just a thing that's, you that's do. That's normal standard care for you. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it was, it was such a different experience, too, at Children's. Like, I'm getting ready, and they're like, all right, well, you need, I'm like, I'm a pro at this. This is my fourth. I got it. <laughs> like, we're good. I know exact. I know. No underwire. I like, I got it. <laughs> um, so, you know, we do it and the radiologist comes back and she's like, yeah, you know, everything looks great. Yay. Uh, I, I had expected to go through the pregnancy and not learn the sex of the baby, but the ultrasound tech 
inadvertently, um, and because I'm a good listener, gave me a tell for that. So <laughs> I learned that, oh, okay, we're having another boy. Um, and my husband knew. And so he was like, yeah, okay. I'm like, that's yeah, <laughs> fine. Um, and so it just, it was a very different pregnancy. It was one where I was like, and, and, and after that, I remember we had lunch and I said to my husband, I'm like, oh my God, three kids. How are we going to do that? <laughs> and he's like, that would have been a really good thing to think about 18 weeks ago. <laughs> He's like, because now we're just going to do it. And I'm like, there's no yeah. choice now. <laughs> it's like, um, you really didn't think that through? And I'm like, no, not really. I didn't think it was going to work. And he's like, oh, okay. okay. Oh, funny. So um, um, a month before my second son was born, we bought our minivan and um, he was he was born nice and healthy and wonderful. And... He is now eight. So (laughs) it is a long story. It's an important story because it is a question when I meet with gestational carriers and we talk about it. And I always know where people are like, oh, but this doesn't happen. And of course, in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, it does. Right. Um, So I talk about it, too, in, in a nuanced way of not just what if there's a chromosomal issue, but we also talk about it as well, what about other fetal anomalies that might be found? Like, what are the boundaries here? What are we thinking about in terms of parenting when I'm talking to intended parents? Like, is there a difference for you between a cleft palate and a club foot? Is there a difference to you? Like, and just sort of going through some of the different constellations that can come up Um, and then talking to gestational carriers because it's important that people are on the same page. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And- I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to cut us here and we're yes. going to have you come back because okay. your story is so incredible. This, this needs to stand alone, but you also are a professional in the assisted reproductive technology area and you have, and I know we talked a little off, off the air. So I'm like, I, I know you have so many incredible and important things to say. So we, we want you to come back, but for we now we're going to say thank you. Thank you so much for your openness, for your your willingness to talk about this. Termination is not something that that people like to, and not that you like to, but are willing to talk about openly. So I, I really yeah. appreciate that you you were able and willing to, to talk to us about it. Well, thank you for, for listening, because I think just like people don't like to talk about it, people don't like to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, it was our pleasure to, to host you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, doctor, for sharing your stories and really letting people see and understand what you went through. And I imagine that others can can really appreciate that, especially if they're in similar situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm not making light in my transition, but everybody knows that I have to go there. So we appreciate you for showing up and listening. Uh, again, we understand that some people may not have made it through this episode because it, it was a, a tough one. And it was hard on us. I know that we're incredibly grateful that, that Julie came on and, and talked to us because it, it's hard to tell that story too. But we're grateful for all of you to be, that you're here with us. Of course, to our team that makes us sound, you know, we're okay. Um, so to thank you to Tyler, to Melissa, to Amanda. We appreciate you. We appreciate all of you for listening. We especially appreciate those of you who go to our Facebook group or leave comments on our um, our little Facebook group out there or on anything we put out there. We, we like to hear from you. So please, please come, come talk to us and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.